Hello, this is Seductive Storm and welcome to my podcast. I hope you'll enjoy it from time to time. It'll just be me talking to you on topics and other times I'll have co-hosts or people that I'm interviewing. So get ready for some real talk with Storm. Hello everyone, I just wanted to let you guys know, first of all, thank you so much to everyone who has been thanking me for creating this podcast. Um, Those of you who may not know what you're listening to, although you should, this is Straight Talk with Storm. I'm known in the industry as Seductive Storm and I have been a companion uh, for 18 years total, although I did retire uh, twice for about a year each time. But overall, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and I've made a few interview and podcast rounds this year, and I just felt like there was a need for a podcast that was relatable to everyone, or, or at least to the online community of sex workers, one that encompassed and welcomed everyone to the table, uh, not just the elite, not just the upscale, not just the VIP, but even the mid-grade and the, and the lower bracket um, because everyone needs to feel some type of support and education in this thing. And so um, I hope each one of these episodes will be enlightening to you or make you laugh. Some might even make you cry. Some might make you angry as shit with the things I say or the things other people who are on here are saying. But at least we're opening a discussion and hearing each other. So please tune in every episode and I hope you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. It's Seductive Storm with the Straight Talk with Storm podcast. Today is May 26th of 2020. So today, as promised, we're going to get into two recent news articles on sex work. I decided to do it early this morning before my house fills back up with family. They spent the night at my son's house last night, but today's Taco Tuesday. So before my 31-year-old daughter returns to North Carolina later on tonight, I'll be cooking yet again. I know you are like you're always cooking. Very true. I usually am here lately. Um, one second. So first, before I even get into that, though, what I did want to share with you guys was the following. Uh, I really want people to, I know we have nothing but time. And so everyone is like, um, sitting online and just critiquing everyone else and comparing themselves to it. And I really think it is the worst possible thing for people to do, especially when they're already stressed out. As I've said many times, many times, you all have to remember that um, right now with everything that is going on, Sorry if you hear the bed rustling. The most important thing right now is making the money that you need to make. It is not um, whether or not you're perfect. 
yeah, I mean, with better imaging, you might make better money. But I know a lot of us right now are not doing real life meetings currently. The ones who are, definitely their marketing is a little different still. And so they still need to do things a certain way. But even with that, you can only afford to do what you can afford to do. Please do not go broke and end up evicted or starving trying to keep up with the Joneses that you see online. Um, I myself, even though I've been in biz many years and I'm very confident, I find myself looking at other people's stuff sometimes, sometimes even some of the people I do work for. And I find myself thinking like, wow, like I need to be doing something like that or I wish I could do something like that. But then I remind myself, no, you don't need to do that because that'll just put you in financial harm's way. And then I have to remember that I know a lot of them have other jobs and sugar daddies or exclusive arrangements. So just remember that. Remember that a lot of the girls you see operating at that level have another job sometimes or they have exclusive arrangements with gentlemen that they've built a rapport with who are able to also, you know, finance their lifestyle, which gives them more money for their marketing and things. And I think a lot of you don't realize that. Maybe you're new starting out, so you think everything you see them with is purely based off of just the usual hourly or multi-hour client. No, a lot of it is things you're not seeing behind the scenes. And it is all about imaging. I do want you to understand, you know, that your marketing is about imaging. So it needs to be good. But currently in the middle of COVID, please just remember that you may not have that finance to spare. And we're in very financially unsure times. So just don't go broke trying to do certain things. They can wait a little bit. But... Let's get into this. So, CNN.com had an article. Well, first, let me tell you how this is going to work. I'm going to read the article, and as I'm reading it, I'm going to give my opinion on certain parts of it. This article I find to be somewhat positive um, or more positive than some U.S.-based sex work articles are. Most of them I don't like. This one did not make me as pissed. And then there is another one, though, from a paper called The Critic over in London that did piss me off. So we're going to start with the one I liked first, then we're going to move on to the one I didn't. So the title of the one on CNN, and a lot of you probably saw it, is Can the World's Oldest Profession survive the age of social distancing. And it's important to note that they did actually interview sex workers. Um, It's kind of sad that a lot of them spoke on the condition of anonymity fear due to fear of legal repercussion and social stigma. Um, I wish they'd have at least just given their work names. I think that Stigma is real, Um, but at my age, at 50, I also feel that things don't change if people don't take chances. And first of all, you giving an interview should never open you up to legal repercussion. Um, 
This is an article where, in my opinion, you didn't have to get too graphic, but you could still discuss what was going on. And um, I've been busted twice before. And the one thing I do know is that uh, even with a report of it being illegal, they still have to make the case. That's why they still do stings. FOSTA-SESTA happened, guys, but they still have to do stings. Um, If they didn't still have to do stings, they wouldn't do them. I just want everyone to think about that. FOSTA-SESTA didn't change it to a point where they don't still have to make a successful bust. That still has to happen. Um, But getting into it. As it begins, don't kiss. Tell clients to wash their hands before they touch you. Wear a mask. Avoid face-to-face positions. And even put on a nurse costume and pull out a thermometer. If his temperature is normal, make it part of the game. If he has a fever, end the session. I loved when I read that. That's the first paragraph. I love when I read that because these are all things I had implemented into my return to -to face-to-face meetings whenever that is. I haven't decided when that is, but I had already posted on my site a month ago what those new rules will look like for people. So that gentlemen who are not comfortable, you know, don't have to deal with me. But the ones who are, I wanted them to know that it is going to be a bit different. Um, but yes, that the, the nurse outfit idea is great. If you have the budget, I say order a few. I do domination and fetish stuff, so I already had one, but I have two more ready to purchase very soon. It's a good idea, and it makes it fun. Like, seriously, it just makes it fun. But I do want everyone to be cognizant of the fact that people can still be sick and be asymptomatic. And so uh, a fever doesn't have to be present for you to be exposed. So I really think the face mask is the best idea. But make the face mask fun. Um, They have blinged out ones, glitter covered one. If you know how to sew, make your own. Make them match your lingerie. Like this can be sexy. You know how sexy harem girls look with the bottom face, bottom part of their face covered. You can make this fun. You can make it safe and fun. All at the same time. So don't be like, oh my God, a mask is going to be ugly. You can make the mask fun. And of course, you know, you'll remove the mask for just a few minutes to, you know, do certain things. But, you know, overall, you want to keep it on. Um, second paragraph. These are real tips that advocacy groups. Yes, a lot of us got it as an advocacy group uh, document. I think the week before last, a lot of what they're describing this article. Um, I think I saved that. So if you did not get that mailer and you would like to see the tips, I, I like to call it the CDC printout for sex workers. It was very interesting to read. Um, so if you need a copy, let me know. But anyway, these are real tips that advocacy groups and health authorities around the world are sharing in the age of coronavirus, hoping to protect workers in the vast and often overlooked sex trade. Armchair advice would be to stop all so-called full-service sex work together. But as UNAIDS warned in April, many sex workers are being forced to weigh what's safe against what will put food on the table. And that's a very real thing. I don't think I even need to explain that paragraph. I feel like (laughs) we're living it. Some of us worse than others. 
Um, and some of us are able to stay safe. I just four years ago would not have been able to, um, the, the risk to my family's homelessness and food on the table would have forced me to have had to have been in harm's way. Um, I was fortunate to start two legit businesses, which allowed me to get gig worker unemployment. Had that have not happened, though, and this is what I'm talking about when I say a lot of you all um, don't understand or see that some of us have other ways of still surviving, whereas I do now. But it wasn't that long ago when I wouldn't have just two years ago. Matter of fact, I wouldn't have Um, things would hit me way different. And it would have been a nightmare for me and my family. So I empathize with and completely understand because I have personally walked in those shoes before. Um, I do wish with my whole heart that, you know, we could find a way to do it more safe. But, you know, again, there is a printout of things you can do. Like I said, the nurse I, the nurse game idea is great. Getting blinged out mask or getting masks in the colors to match your lingerie. Make it sexy, but make it safe, I say. Um, next paragraph. An old economics axiom claims that investments in vice and sin, like gambling, alcohol, drugs, and sex trades, whether economic downturns well, because people turn to them whether they're sad or happy. Some vices are even thought to be countercyclical, rising when an economy takes a nosedive. Whether that's true for America's, I'm sorry, that was one paragraph. I'm keeping on reading. I'm only going to stop as it's something I feel I need to elaborate on. Whether that's true for America's estimated millions of full sex workers is hard to definitely disprove. Sex for pay is illegal in most of the country, so large-scale data is scant. But sex workers, aid organizations, and the lawyers who work with them say that the pandemic has been devastating. And I think that's across the board. I think this is the one time... um, Now, I'm not talking about the rich outside of sex work. I'm not even talking about the rich within sex work. I'm talking about blue-collar American workers who worked in places that were not grocery stores, fast food, or delivery services of any type, like Amazon, UPS, FedEx, post office. I think devastation has happened across the board. I know it is worse for sex workers. But I think this is one time where it's been across the board, and I think because it's like the trickle-down effect, I've suffered a loss in web design and assistant business because girls are unable or unwilling to work or they are working, but they're not getting nearly as many meetings because guys are wanting to be cautious with their health as well. More importantly, guys are wanting to be cautious with their money because they don't know what the future holds in the next few months. So I'd say the pandemic has been devastating for just about everyone other than the wealthy. If, if we're going to be honest, because even those with savings, I'd say it's not going to last too much longer because they're having to use so much of their savings. So I don't think anyone is very comfortable right now. But yes, it is absolutely worse for 
all marginalized people, regardless of the career path, regardless of the race. It is horrible. And when I say marginalized here, that is to include sex workers because we are a stigmatized, marginalized group of people. Prostitution is supposed to be inelastic and recession-proof, says Katie Simon, a self-described cheap escort, writer, and activist in a small town in western Massachusetts. But there's never been a recession where in-person contact with people was dangerous before. Very true. The next, the next section is titled of this article, same article, just breaking it into sections, Less Work, More Risk. Lockdown orders might seem redundant for an already forbidden business. But several sex workers told CNN that they had chosen to stop working due to fear of coronavirus. Demand from clients has chilled too. And as unemployment in the U.S. reaches Great Depression levels, many Americans have less to spend on services of all kinds. Nevertheless, every sex worker interviewed said they were still receiving requests to meet in person, if not as frequently as before. Um, This is absolutely true. I have said for a while now that I'm semi-retired because I was focusing on my other businesses. What I will say is this. The first month, like March and April, I didn't have ads up. And I was suddenly getting hit with text messages and emails. Um, And I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, without even advertising, and now in the middle of... At the start of a shutdown, now people want to meet in person. Go figure. So, but I think they're also doing this because I think they figure they can get lower rates, which they got fooled on because we all raised our rates, most of us. And also because they assume we wouldn't be as strict on screening. Uh, I said when this started on a podcast episode that the predators were going to come out and they have. But continuing on, it's my ethical, she says, it's her ethical duty not to work on anyone's body because of the virus, said one San Francisco-based sex worker and massage therapist who said they'd gone from seeing more than 30 clients per week to zero. I've lived in my apartment for 16 years. Like I've never paid rent late. Oh, sorry. I've never paid rent late or ever. This is the first time I'm having to struggle with money while having been in San Francisco. In March, they reached out to an advocacy group, Black Black Sex Workers Collective, for financial help receiving the emergency 400 grant fund for basic living expenses. Yet this sex worker says they continue to be contacted by prospective clients, including from doctors and nurses at the hospital down the street. They're like begging you to work with them, they said. They're throwing up all this money at you, like I'll give you 300 to work for me for an hour. It's a dilemma for me because I need the money, she says. Broadly, there are two kinds of markets in the sex industry, says Scott Cunningham, a Baylor University economist who studies sex trade America. There's the lower end, lower wage work where clients seem to be primarily interested in the sexual experience. Then there's a higher wage rate that is sort of companionship bundled with sexual services. And a lot of times those clients will become regulars. They'll be steady work. On that subject, um, that is true. Um, as far as regs go, but I've noticed even regs and because I've had people that I've seen for years, I've had new regs that I had just developed last summer into this year. 
And even they are not available right now. And so um, why I appreciate his stands and there are, he says there's two levels. I actually think there's more like three to four levels, but he wouldn't know that. Uh, he studies sex trade, and that's great, but only those of us who are actually in it know the true different tiers of it. There are about four levels, in my opinion. But the whole point is, um, in a normal situation where we're not in a pandemic, yes, even those regulars are steady. But in this, in my opinion, not so much, unless you're the few lucky people that I began with talking about at the beginning of this where the um the gentleman is truly 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 wealthy enough and has enough savings um and maybe doesn't have as much home responsibilities that he can continue that right now but a lot of them can't <clears throat> while high-end workers may have been able to find a financial cushion before the crisis many lower-end workers were already living day to day and now their customers are more likely to be laid off he says, as you move down the wage distribution for sex workers, there's really, really a lot of suffering that's kind of going undetected right now, he says. And I absolutely agree with that. And it's sad. So if you're someone who's a sex worker and you find my podcast and you're listening, reach out to me. Because maybe if I can't help you, I do have a pretty good network and I do have a little bit of knowledge on um, groups that can help you. So if you're listening to this and you don't know where to turn or maybe you don't have the computer and stuff to do the research yourself, contact me. Like seriously, um, I am happy to help you with finding ways to find help. Um, A sex worker who has continued to work out of her home in Arizona told CNN that several regulars who lost their own jobs as landscapers and drivers had stopped visiting. I can tell that... I can tell what day everybody got an economy, I'm sorry, an economic stimulus check because that's when I see clients again. Then for three days, I might see no one, she says. At the beginning of the pandemic spread through the U.S., she took clients' temperatures with a thermometer when they arrived and tried to make it sexy by playing nurse. While she no longer does that consistently, she says she still wears a mask and glove with new clients. Some are frustrated after months of lockdown and have offered premiums to be seen in the age of COVID-19. Others are asking for a discount. There are clients who might want to lowball you because they know times are rough, she says. Others might, lo- lo- Others might lowball you because, hey, they're not working either. So then we go into the next section of the article, weighing risk versus need. When it comes to contagious diseases, strangers sharing fluids is pretty much an epidemiologist's nightmare. And the clients asking sex workers to shoulder the risk is nothing new. I apologize if I'm misreading this person's name in this article. I believe it's Akinos, a 42-year-old sex worker based in New York and Berlin, runs the Black Sex Workers Collective. And I am going to check them out because it's just good to have that information for myself and for others. Um, While not currently working, Aquino says she has observed a regular stream of inquiries for full-service sex work. 
with specific interest, I'm sorry, with specific requests for interactions more likely to spread respiratory disease like kissing. They want it despite the heightened risk, she says. They don't seem to care. They're like, yeah, I know what's happening, but I still want to kiss. It's typical client behavior, she adds. They always want to have sex workers do something that they wouldn't normally do with anyone else. What worries export experts more than the virus itself is its rising potential for violence and abuse. With fewer clients and no end to the economic downturn in sight, sex workers who are still active now might be less selective about clients and less firm about their own boundaries. And girls, guys, and all genders, please don't do that. Please still make them screen because you might not catch COVID, but you still might end up harmed. Uh, or robbed or worse you still need to screen you still need to have boundaries and if they can't respect them and I know this is horrible especially if you are really struggling um you just have to remember especially those of you who have families kids and such that that kind of risk is even worse than the COVID risk I say that all the time and I hope you all know that um People are really desperate out there right now. And unfortunately, what happens in a recession like this is people who have to take more calculated risks than they usually do. They're going against their gut and doing things that they otherwise wouldn't. They're seeing clients that they know are dangerous, says Simon. It's just like after Fausta Sesta, but worse, she adds, referring to a 2018 law that made digital platforms legally liable for hosting sexual service advertisements. The bipartisan legislation sought to fight human trafficking and was heralded by some human rights advocates. But advocates of decriminalizing sex trade say the resulting closures of advertising websites erased a safe means of meeting, negotiating with, and vetting clients for non-sex trafficked sex workers and created financial pressure to take additional risk. Crowdsourced list of warnings about abusive or non-paying clients known as bad date list, or as we call them, blacklist, offer chilling examples of the danger. A 2019 list compiled by St. James Infirmary, a health center for sex workers in San Francisco, ranges from a stripper who accuses a local deputy sheriff of pressuring her to do more than dance to a woman who describes being burned with cigarettes, adding, do not report this, please, I'm scared. One self-described sugar baby who offers relationships for pay in California told CNN that she felt the clients who continue to come forward despite social distancing guidelines were greater risk takers, a potential red flag. In-person client pool is much more dangerous right now and much more shady because they are willing to violate social societal norms, the 34-year-old said. Even for those who stop working, she notes the economic crunch could expose women to more domestic violence, an epidemic of its own in an America under lockdown. Women go into relationships to avoid homelessness. And when people know that we have histories of sex work or histories of drug use, then we're seen as desperate and very easy to take advantage of. We're expected to provide services in exchange, she says. She herself doesn't have a home of her own and is currently quarantined in a client's house, a situation of dependence that she doesn't feel comfortable with. Having all your eggs in one's basket, one basket is dangerous for a sex worker. Sometimes I just wake up feeling panicked and trapped, she said. Then again, who doesn't feel that way right now? 
the remote work challenge. As in all industries across the U.S., some sex workers have been able to turn to remote work, salvaging their income by offering proactive live stream shows, pictures, chats. Many are on subscription site OnlyFans, where adult content creators make up a large portion of the offerings. The company tells CNN that since the start of the pandemic in early March, new signups have increased 75%. The platform is now adding about 200,000 new users every 24 hours. It's not all sex, the platform says. Influencers and celebrities of all kinds have taken to the site to offer subscribers photos and videos since the shutdown. Creating a digital brand requires the same communications and tech savvy that makes great influencers, which is to say it isn't easy, and the basic ingredients to start building a following aren't cheap. A computer, high-speed internet, webcam, and mic are the minimum, sex workers told CNN, not to mention robust cell phone data plans to stay in contact with clients and privacy to get it all done. All of that can raise insurmountable barrier entry for the poorest sex workers. And I spoke on all of those things on a podcast last week. So check that out. Maya, a New York full-based sex worker who has successfully transitioned to online work. And I was thinking, I wonder if this is the Maya I spoke to a couple months ago about moving to her online stuff to her own digital hosting stream. If it is, that's awesome. But at any rate, who has successfully transitioned to online work says she used to make $8,000 to $10,000 a month. Since the coronavirus swept through the city, she makes half of that all from digital performances. Okay, so I'm a little more privileged than most sex workers, the 26-year-old says. Um, Born in Trujillo, Honduras, and I apologize if I'm butchering that if you're listening. She says she crossed the Mexican desert into the United States when she was just six six years old in the arms of a smuggler. She vividly remembers her first encounter with U.S. law enforcement, the border guard who intercepted them. He asked me, oh, that guy over there says he's your dad. Is that true? And I was like, no. Then he smirked at me and walked away. And I realized he was basically he was going to basically ruin this guy's life. They haunted me for a while. A recipient of the Obama era program known as DACA which allows undocumented children raised in the U.S. to stay and work legally, Maya says. The 2016 presidential campaign played a part in her career path. I started to embrace sex work more as I realized Trump's campaign promise was to eliminate DACA. If I didn't have working rights, then I needed an underground job so that I could still survive. For those who left sex work and are now facing a cratering economy and fierce competition for a few jobs, the underground may also beckon. Rachel Lloyd, a former sex worker and founder of GEMS, a New York City-based organization that helps exploited and trafficked young people exit the sex trade, worries that they'll be drawn back into it. I worked really hard to build a program that had options. We were able to say, look, you you can leave this life and here are the options. There may not be amazing options initially, but we can but we know we can help you build on them and we can support you through college. Then there were jobs available. Now it's like none of that stuff means anything. The next section of the article is titled Asking for Help. For Americans with tax records and bank accounts, ID cards, social security numbers, there are options. The US government expanded several funds to cushion the blow. Um 
I'm not going to read out all these acronyms. I think all of us, if we're watching the news, know what's offered. Um, But sex workers who already view the government as an antagonist, it's not always clear if they can or should ask for help. Just to set the tone, in contrast to Japan, where the government was forced to include legal sex workers in its April emergency financial aid package, a morality clause in the U.S. CARES Act means that even legal adjacent U.S. businesses like strip clubs cannot qualify for billions of dollars set aside in federal loans along with casinos and lobbyists. An individual sex worker could theoretically receive a stimulus check or even collect unemployment insurance, but many don't have the income tax history or even bank accounts necessary to claim those benefits. Um, I was fortunate that I did, and I know a few others who were fortunate, but yes, it's definitely sad, and I don't know what I would have done. Again, two years ago, um, I wouldn't have had the bank accounts. I wouldn't have had um, proof of a business. I wouldn't have any of those things, and it would have been a nightmare so believe me, I understand my blessing and um, yeah, um, I, my my heart and my thoughts and my prayers to any of you who believe in that, um, I do. And that's why I said that um, are with you guys. And again, while I don't have the finances right now because I have a rather large family to support, I can help um, point you in directions of services that can help you. And even help you navigate that if you're feeling uncomfortable about asking for help yourself. So uh, if after listening to this podcast episode, you feel like you need to reach out, please do. Several described overwhelming shame and anxiety around filing taxes on their earnings and worried that the U.S. government would use unemployment applications to identify and prosecute them as sex workers. Um, what I can tell you is, being identified and prosecuted, I've been prosecuted and convicted twice. It's a misdemeanor, um, depending on how many convictions you've had. It's a misdemeanor. Um, and just remember that um, there are lots of parts of FOSTA SESTA that I think independent sex workers got overly terrified and worried about that they didn't have to. Um, that is more of an agency managerial kind of thing where they face the most criminal and serious charges and same with the the uh ad websites than you just being independent that is still a local level misdemeanor in most cases so don't don't be so scared that you're not getting the help that you need i just you know i want you to know that um Let's continue on with the article. I always knew it was a good idea to file taxes, and I always knew it was going to bite me in the ass if I didn't, but didn't. But it was just so daunting. The very idea of it, you know, and I'd always just operated so totally outside the legit market in many ways, said one sex worker. I don't know how U.S. bureaucracies intertwine. I don't know what I'm risking if I try to get any benefit, she said. Asking for help can seem particularly unthinkable for non-citizens. According to multiple activists and lawyers, sex workers who are immigrants are keenly aware of Trump's administration's public change rule, which makes it more difficult for immigrants to obtain green cards if they are caught using public benefits like food stamps and housing vouchers. We tried to help apply for unemployment for several people, and they're like, please don't do that. Just don't hit send, said Elena Shi, an assistant professor 
of American Studies at Brown University and one of the co-founders of Red Canary Song, an outreach group for massage parlor workers in New York. Some workers are even afraid to accept food from food pantries, she says, because they're worried it's going to be counted against them in some new way, shape, or form. Um, so, okay, I just want to see how much more of there this was. Um, I usually wake up in the morning and have red wine, and I'm out of wine today. <laughs> so, um, normally what seems like such a short thing to me is seeming long this morning. So I apologize if I don't have quite the same energy, but yeah, it's hard when you haven't had your coffee and I refer to that as my coffee. Um, but next part, what happens next? Since the coronavirus swept through the U.S., it's hardly recognizable anymore. And as a land of opportunity, According to a recent Census Bureau survey, 10% of adults say they aren't getting enough of the food they need. And as unemployment rates reach record levels in all but seven states, the above-ground economy is now wrestling with an urgent question that sex workers know all too well, how to work in safety. It's a dilemma that groups like the Sex Workers Outreach Project, which is SWAP, the Black Sex Workers Collective, and Red Canary Song, all part of a global flourishing of sex worker self-organizing have been working on for a long time, focusing on policy changes that would empower sex workers, seek police and governmental help before the immediate crisis of the coronavirus emerge. When you rely on yourself, you come up with all sorts of things, says Monica Jones, an activist whose organization, The Outlaw Project, now offers financial aid to sex workers who have stopped working and masking gloves to those who haven't. Swap Behind Bars, a swap subgroup that supports incarcerated sex workers, is preparing to ship 3,000 face masks around the country for distribution to street workers, says co-founder Alex Andrews. But in this industry, every client is an X factor in the delicate balance of risk versus need. Kylie and Jinx, two members of the Salt Lake City swap chapter, estimate that they've delivered about 300 N95 masks to street-based workers in the city, whom they say are often homeless, in addition to cash assistance, food, and other supplies. Jinx herself wears a mask when she performs at the local strip club, which recently reopened, and says she hopes that sex workers receiving donations wear them, but she's not sure. As with hand-washing and other safety process practices, unless you can afford to walk away from work, it's really up to the client. It's not like you get to choose. Your client directs things because they're the client. Let me say this. that We got to stop thinking that as sex workers. I have shouted this to the mountaintop. No, this is not a business where the customer is always right. It's your body. It's your rules. You have full body autonomy. You have boundaries. And if someone is doing something that risks your health or that makes you uncomfortable, you need to direct that situation and make them stop. Like, seriously, we have got to stop letting clients control sex work. That's not how this works because your body is your business and you have to remain healthy. So please, 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 y'all, stop thinking that the client directs things because of the client. This isn't a restaurant. This isn't a clothing store. You are the business, and the business has to stay healthy and safe. 
Simon, who in ordinary times makes a couple hundred dollars a week and receives food stamps, has sought to set her own rules. The 38-year-old has been staying home and following Massachusetts social distancing guidelines for months, but says it's hard, she says. The regulars who have texted me, there's all this paternalistic, benevolent concern about staying safe. Once I offer them sexting or I offer them phone sex, they say, oh, you know what? It's nothing compared to your touch, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly they're trying to schedule an appointment, she says. I don't judge anyone who's out there working right now, she says, but a note of frustration with her clients is audible. I've told them that I'm trying not to work and they're pressuring me to do so. My bank account is at zero from day to day. I'm still trying not to go back to work, but I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do this. And that's where the article ends. Um, but yeah, there were several important points in there. Again, you can find the article. Uh, it was published on the 24th of May, 2020 on CNN.com. Um, after listening to that, if you want to share any of your thoughts with me, or if you want to come on the podcast and talk about that article, just let me know. And I'd be glad to have you on. Maybe I can schedule you for next week. But let's get to this other bullshit-ass article. Um, let me move this coat once and for all so this rustling sound can stop. I apologize. Um, and it, yeah, I do apologize for that sound you probably heard from the coat. But this was kind of an impromptu podcast. And, it, you know, I just wanted to get this in this morning. This is from the critic.co.uk. The title of this article is Prostitution is Never Safe, Let Alone Now. It says women need to be able to escape, not be fobbed off with hand sanitizers. I'm not sure what fobbed off means. Maybe some of you girls from across the pond can explain that to me at a later time. So <clears throat> there's another article that I haven't read yet that was written by a lady named Nietzsche Hodgson that characterize sex workers as merely self-employed women. Nietzsche, or Nikki, I want you to know that I applaud you for saying that about us. We are tired of being described as victims. Uh, we're tired of the rhetoric that even though we are consenting and agreeing to pay, that we're being raped every single time and don't know it. We're tired just in general of being turned into victims when so many of us are the furthest thing from it. And I applaud you for calling us self-employed women because that's what most of us are. We are bosses. Now, let me say this because I never want to be tone deaf. I know people are really trafficked. We all know that. And I think all of us, all of us, Think of them and want safety and rescue for them. What we don't want, though, is to be put all under one tent and one blanket. This is not a one-size-fits-all or blanket-effect type situation. So, Nikki Hodgson, I applaud you for saying we're sex that we are self-employed women because that elevates us and gives us takes away the stigma of making us all look like victims or like we're just moralistic pieces of shit. So I appreciate it, as do I'm sure most most sex workers who read this article, read your article 
I have not read it yet. I will, though. But I found the answer to your article by a Julie Bindle who took it upon herself, I guess, to get her panties in a bunch over what you said, Miss Hodgson. And she said, as soon as lockdown hit, I wondered how long it would take for the prostitution apologist, including the pimps that get rich off the backs of vulnerable women to try and justify business as usual in the sex trade. Again, I don't like pimps. I'm not for that. But Miss Julie Bindle, we're not all pimps. But back to the article. To try and justify business as usual in the sex trade, after all, what would men do if they could not have access to the inside of a woman's body for a one-sided sexual pleasure? Julie Bindle, I can assure you that many of us have enjoyed moments in our work. Um, I know this is something you might not be able to understand, but some of us are actually turned on by the power we get from using them for their money and their gifts. And I know you might not understand it, Julie, and I feel sorry for you because you don't. I really do feel sorry for you because this is like self-inflicted misogyny and patriarchy that you've taken deep into your feminine soul. And I'm sorry for you. How could the sex trade like restaurants, pubs, clubs, and sports facilities be shut down? And men have their needs, you know? And so do the women who are sex workers. Um, did it occur to you that some of us have other businesses? Some of us have degrees. Some of us are people I entered because I needed to. But there are plenty of people who entered sex work, who had PhDs, who worked corporate jobs, who did it because they wanted to, Julie. And honestly, I guess I did it as a want to because at the end of the day, I was working in medical. I could have continued working double shifts and making just the same amount. But Julie, I decided that it was much easier to make fast money, dress up, be pretty, have fun, take men's money than it was to wipe asses, shit and piss, take temperatures and expose myself to germs all day, Julie. I'm just saying, Julie. And I get to be home more with my kids. I get to do more trips and things with my kids. Well, not now because of COVID, but Julie Bendel, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame on you for not knowing what the fuck you're talking about. That's all I'm going to say. Or so we would be led to believe if we were to read medical, many articles on this topic in the recent days. One harm reduction project, projects usually funded by the NHS with the aim to minimize the health risk to prostituted women, has published advice based on using bleach and disinfectant while seeing a punter not to allow kissing and to strip and change bed linen if possible. What's wrong with that advice? That's perfectly good advice, Julie, for those who still have to work. Elsewhere, such as, an escort, such as on escort agency sites, women have been told to bathe or shower with bleach, gargle with it <clears throat> on the advice of one punter, use bleach douches. Okay, that is bad advice. This is the one part where me and Julie are going to agree. I grew up in the black community is not uncommon for some people to shower with a cup, with a cap or two caps of bleach. Same thing with tub bathing. Uh, black people were taught it helps get rid of ringworm and skin funguses. 
but it is never okay to ingest it. It is never okay to gargle with it. And it's definitely never okay to use it as a douche. So if a guy ever tells you that, tell him, can you, can you give him a bleach enema and see how much he likes it? But back into the rest of it, which I did hate. Sex trade survivors have I have spoken to are furious at the way in which prostitution is being projected at all costs. Protected at all costs. Well, Julie, all of us aren't sex trade survivors. And I don't mean to slight them. But what you're doing is very, very bad. And it just adds to the stigma for the rest of us who are doing it of our free will. Who don't mind it. And who it has given us growth and happiness in our lives. That's all I'm saying, Julie. It's not a one statement fits all kind of thing. And people like you should be careful what they say because you're looking at it very one-sided. I don't think you yourself were ever a sex worker, Julie. So perhaps you shouldn't write articles on things like this. We can't stay safe, says Fran. The punters call all the shots and they, not us, are in control. We need to get those women out. And that, again, just like in the last article, Stop, stop, stop giving the clients the control. If you stop giving the clients the control, fellow sex workers, like then you'll then you'll know. You've got to stop. You really got to stop giving them all the control. Stop giving them the control. Seriously. Got to stop giving them all the control. That has to stop. I need to stop right here real quick and restart the recording. Because it limits how long each segment can be. So I'm going to do that. I'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> the idea that prostitution can be safe under any circumstances, let alone during a global crisis, is risable. Mm, it can never be par- totally safe, but neither can you going out into your car and driving to work in the morning. Neither can you go into the store. Someone could come in and rob it. So there's always a risk just in living. Seriously, every day, Julie, there's a risk in living. Why would anyone with interest of the women at heart show more concern that prostitution can formally be rebranded as labor in order to claim sex, claim worker status, rather than demanding that the government throw money at exiting strategies? That's nothing wrong with exiting strategies, Julie, for those who want it. But for those of us who do see ourselves as self-employed, those of us who are strong women like me, Julie, I'm strong, I'm alpha. Aside from just being a full-service sex worker, I'm a dominatrix, Julie. Not all of us are victimized, weak, broken down, been ruined by men type women. And when I say weak, I don't mean at as an insult. I mean it as the way you're portraying it as an insult. Those are words I think you have in your head to describe us because there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. And a woman who has been a real victim is certainly not someone weak. I don't want anyone to say I said that. I'm just saying what I think Julie thinks in her head of women because it seems to me she's convinced herself or that men have convinced her that women should not have body autonomy And that none of us have brains capable of thinking and making our own decisions about what we do with ourselves. In 2009, along with colleagues at South Back University, I conducted a comprehensive study on barriers and opportunities to exiting prostitution. Oh, this is why Julie thinks she knows so much. 
The vast majority of the 114 women interviewed told us that they would rather be doing anything than selling sex. They want it out. I'd love to see Julie's proof for that. But again, there's different types of sex work. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they had all been pimped. Maybe they were all street workers. It's different. Everything, I'm sure, has different feels to it. But for those of us who have pretty much always been on the web, those of us who have never had a pimp, even those who worked in an agency as long as one where they were treated well, this is not the case, Julie. This is not the case. There's millions of us on Twitter and everywhere else every day screaming to the top of our lungs that we are happy, that we enjoy what we do, that it has given happiness and prosperity to our lives and to our families. And it's sad that you all didn't interview any of us. I'd bet, I'd bet that you all went out on the streets of London and found the most desperate sex workers you could find to interview just to make sure that you got to continue your rhetoric. Because had you have chosen some others that I know in London personally, this wouldn't have been the story you got. But I digress. Let me continue. They wanted out. Even for those women that self-identify as high-class escorts. Oh, well, look, she claims to have talked to some. We talk about the prostitution experience itself as demeaning, abusive, and traumatizing. Well, I'm not sure if those ladies were setting boundaries. I think... Again, if you believe that the client's in charge and you let him take the wheel, you might very well find yourself feeling that way. But I think for those that set boundaries and know their worth and make people adhere to their boundaries, that's not how they feel. One woman was explaining how much she loved her job during the interview, had tears rolling down her haunted eyes as she spoke. Julie, oh, got it. Stop it. Anyway, I have also interviewed dozens of men who pay for sex in the UK and elsewhere. The punters that stick in my mind are those I encountered in legal brothels, such as in Nevada, US. Their sense of entitlement and sheer arrogance shone through as they chose their date from a cattle market lineup on entering the brothel. As they checked in at the reception, they could see a list of names of the women and their blood test results for that week pinned to the wall. The pimps knew fine well that despite the written rules that the Johns were required to wear condoms, many would refuse and the onus was there for the women to show they were clean. Is that really what you think it was? Or perhaps it's just so because condoms break, Julie. And it's just so the person can keep their license to keep the brothel open, Julie. I'm not saying men don't ask for bear. They certainly do. But I also know in brothels, a lot of the time, if it's found out that a man asks, he is banned from the brothel and never allowed to come back. I just want to know, like, I feel like anyone can tell you anything. But I want video recordings, Julie. And I want, like, I want, I would love to interview some of the women you claim you talk to. But again, I'm betting that, you all and whoever you did the study with specifically chose even the high class one, the most miserable people you could talk to. There's way more people out here than the 114 people that you talked to, Julie Brendel. The chicken, the chicken ranch brothel, which I visited whilst researching my book on the global sex trade, has recently suggested that it is to keep business booming 
that it is safe to keep business booming so long as women and visiting Johns frequently wash their hands and use sanitizer. It's all about the profits for the pence. I'm sure it's all about the ladies wanting to be able to pay their rent and bills and feed their kids too, Julie. This whole article is so disgusting. It really seems, Julie, like you're a prude, like you hate sex in general, like you hate women who enjoy their sexuality in general, and like you hate men too. But it's crazy that you hate men because you are self-internalizing all their misogyny and patriarchy and helping to try to control female sex workers yourself with this rhetoric and this bullshit way of thinking you have on things. Um, to me, anybody over the age of 21 years old, at least, the minimum should be 21, should be able to do what the hell they want to do with their body as long as they're doing it of free will and no one's forcing them to do it, Julie. And that's facts. We don't tell men what to do with their bodies. And nobody should tell us either. Point blank, period. And so what if we make money off of it, Julie? Would you be having these same complaints if these very same women were sleeping with 20 to 30 men a month for free just because they felt like it? Just because they felt like smutting a bit? Would that be okay with you? Or would you find a way to condemn them for that too? I hate women like you, Julie. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I hate women who don't realize how much they're helping the very male cause that they claim they're so entitled about with these dumbass shit. And I just hate women who, because someone taught them to be shelved and smothered and to smother who they are sexually, that now they think it's their job to do it to the rest of us. Go get a life, Julie. Julie. Because you're profiting too. Was your book free? Did you sell the book you wrote about how horrible we're treated? Was that free? Did you give that out? Or did you put money in your bank account off of it? Did you do this article for free? Or do you get paid to work for the paper? I'm just saying, because you're talking about profiting and you're profiting off of us too. With the bullshit. That's all I'm saying. The attempts of some lobby groups to exploit the coronavirus pandemic to advocate for normalizing, pimping, brothel keeping, and sex buying through rebranding, it is work. It's appalling. No, it's our work. It's our work and it's our choice for some of us. And we should be entitled to the same help from our governments as everyone else. You're no better than us, Julie. Just because you hide behind a typewriter and a pen and a pad, you're no better than us, Julie. I want you to know that. I want you to know your article is disgusting. And I hope Miss Hodgson comes back with a rebuttal and tears your ass a new one. I really do. Countries that have legalized or decriminalized the commercial abuse of women reaping the consequences and recognizing that trafficking drug use, rates of HIV and other STIs and child sexual exploitation all get worse when men are given carte blanche to pay for sex with desperate women. We're not all desperate and most of us get tested a lot and we're safer than the bitches who are out here just fucking everyone for free. You dumbass, you dumbass woman. In Brisbane, Australia, where prostitution is legal, police have been arresting and finding women working in unlicensed brothels when what they should be doing is arresting the pimps and punters involved. So I agree the pimps should be arrested, but you want to arrest the clients and leave the women to possible starvation 
and their kids to possible starvation. Let people do them. Let people do them. Unless a woman is truly victimized, leave the rest of the sex work industry alone. Please, Julie, can y'all get that through your heads? We are self-employed. We are independent contractors. We run businesses. Most of us do photo shoots. We're computer savvy. I'm also a web designer and booking assistant for other girls. Um, this is a business and most of us run it as such. We, we answer emails. We answer phones. Most of us have been to college. You don't know what you're talking about based off of this small 20% of the women and people that other genders that are victimized. That's 20% leaving the other 80% of us to be in full fruition and knowledge and self-choosing of what we're doing. And you're not talking to the rest of us. You're specifically interviewing and and it's seeking out the worst of the worst to interview and make your money off of. So Julie, what you are is a fear-mongering pimp. That's what you are. A propaganda-fueling fear-mongering pimp. Vulnerable women need to be given the opportunity to escape the sex trade and to not be fobbed off with pointless health advice and hand sanitizers. These women are already exposed to horrific violence, as well as a number of serious and long-term mental and physical health conditions. The last thing any government should be doing is finding ways to keep the sex trade thriving. That's funny, Julie. I'm 50. I've been in business 19 years. I have five healthy children and two very healthy grandchildren. Two, two kids in college, uh, one about to be able to start his own business very shortly, who went to a trade school, uh, one who's in honors programs, uh, and one who's working on her second degree, Julie. So I'm just trying to understand what in the actual fuck you're talking about, Julie. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? There's plenty of us who have even more fabulous and normal lives than I do who could also ask you, what in the fuck are you talking about? Like, for real. It's empowering to some of us, Julie. It's a shame you don't interview more of us. This crisis is an opportunity for our government to come down hard on pimps and punters that are determined to exploit the most vulnerable of women despite the massive health risks to them and wider society. The only women left working in this climate are the most desperate. Current legislation in the UK relating to paying for sex is that those that access prostitution services for women that are trafficked or otherwise coerced are committing a crime. And that is true. That is true. They are, they, that's different. They're victims. The rest of us aren't. Prostitute, okay. Now, this I can see, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't just apply to the ones who have been trafficked. If this is your point, Julie, your next point is prostituted women should be financially supported and classed as long-term unemployed. All of us should get it, Julie, not just what you say here in this next sense. We need to acknowledge the hell they've been living under and make available everything from counseling and health services, child care and re-education packages. True, they should help with exiting. But we haven't all been living in hell. Why can't you put a more positive spin on it and get to this same point? Why, since you claim to be so intelligent and learned, why can't you... Take this same 
if this was your end game to say that we deserved financial support long term and that we should get counseling and health services and child care and re-education packages, why aren't we all entitled to it? Even those of us who are self-employed and bosses. Why do you feel as though you needed to spin it and make us all victims and make us all suffering, miserable people in order to get this help? Why shouldn't everyone who works in sex work be entitled to it? Riddle me that, Julie. And I don't believe this next paragraph is pure rubbish. The government should clamp down on the men that are putting their own selfish desires before the lives of others. It's not always just about the sex, Julie. I have clients who I've cooked for and spent the whole night with who never tried to sleep with me. I have clients who come to me and talk to me when they're getting divorces and just need a shoulder to lean on and they get a massage. But they're very respectful to me. I've had some literally who I've been friends with for two years who paid rent and stuff for me in another time who then never, ever, ever, ever have slept with me. They haven't even tried, Julie. Did you know that? Did you know those kind of situations exist where the men can actually be decent clients? And I'm not saying that the ones who want more indecent because I've had some very passionate overnights that have left me thinking about those people years later that were more romantic and loving experiences, even though they were for pay than some of my personal life experiences have been, Julie. So I don't agree with you. The only thing we're going to agree on is telling people to not drink bleach and dush with bleach and that women in sex work deserve financial support. But all of us, Julie, not just the ones you want to sell as victims. Your next statement, prostitution can never be safe. It can't be made safe, but it can be made safer. Like I said, Julie, nothing you do, even when you get on a plane or in a car, is 100% safe. You take on... The same amount of risk when you get in a car to drive every day that any of us do when we decide to see someone. You can you can get hurt, harmed, injured, die, carjacked, car stolen. Shit happens. It's life. So, you know, but prostitution can't be made safer. And you know what? It was a lot safer before people like you, the abolitionists, got involved and we ended up with FOSTA, SESTA and all the other bullshit that now took things back underground and made girls who otherwise could have remained or gotten started independent on the net where it was safer have to resort to the pimps, the very pimps that you hate because of you and your type of people's rules that you imposed on a whole group Again, trying to do a blanket effect instead of just addressing the groups you needed to. COVID-19 is but one threat to women in prostitution and pimps and punters need to be the ones that pay the price. But that's not how it's going to work. Just like that's not how FOSTA-SESTA worked. FOSTA-SESTA was supposed to punish the websites that allowed the ads and punish the pimps. And it didn't. It punished the girls and the other genders of sex workers who then had nowhere else to work but in the most horrible situations. You're so worried about what COVID is doing to them, but where was that same anger about helping them when FOSTA-SESTA was being passed? Y'all need to learn to mind your business. And if you'd have just left the websites up, like they should have been left up, even the police tried to tell the agencies this. They had a better tracing mechanism to the girls who were being trafficked, harmed, raped, hurt 
by being able to backtrack to the ad, the IP address, the email chain. Now, once you took the sites away and a lot of girls can't pay for the ad sites that are still up like Eros and other things or aren't professional or able to pay for professional websites and get Google SEO, which most of them don't understand, you force them back underground where they're definitely in harm's way. So... Julie Bindle, you're trash. Your whole thought process is trash. And we are self-employed boss women. Don't be mad at us because you're still on the hamster wheel, Julie, looking up to the patriarchy. Get your thoughts together, Julie, and realize it's not a one-size-fits-all effect. And what you're doing right now isn't helpful at all. Again, Nikki Hodgson, I have not read your article. I will. But from what I understand of it, you were calling us self-employed women. You were empowering us and hats off to you and applause to you. And Julie Bendel, someone should drag you behind a cart screaming for a couple of minutes till you understand how stupid what you said was. Like, again, the only parts of this article anyone should pay attention to are to not drink bleach, don't douche with bleach, and the fact that, yes... Sex workers should be able to have federally funded exit plans and financial help if they if and when they need it. But Julie, to to write an article that's just filled with so much detest and hate. I don't know what some man did to you, but not all men did it to you. I don't know if some woman came along who was in sex work and your man or your woman, I don't know, your sexuality fell in love with them and that's why you got a beef, the pot, the stare. I don't know if maybe your mom was a sex worker and you have emotional issues with it and it came into your adulthood and you got your education and didn't dedicated your time to trying to ruin it. I don't know, but I feel sorry for you. Please don't waste your time feeling sorry for us. We're all right out here, kid. It, one thing about us is we're resilient. You and your like did fossil assisted us and we still withstood it and we still survived. And even though COVID sucks and it's something that we've never had to deal with and it's an invisible enemy, this too shall pass. But stop trying to make us all victims just to sell your books. Let me know what you all think. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. <laughs> Again, it was impromptu, might not be edited as well. But yeah, I just wanted to share my two cents on these articles with you guys. You have a good day. And, you know, keep tuning in. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SSPodcast1. Again, that's SSPodcast1. And my regular Twitter is SupergirlStorm. And, uh... Yeah, if you'd like links to those direct articles so you can read them yourself, feel free to shoot me an email. I'll be happy to share. Have a good day.